get the gunshots. song, as if you didn't already know, is entitled Rain Dance, and it's an early 1970s single by the Guess Who. And um, while it has a very long intro and way too long, oh, do you want to rain dance? Don't it has got these two incredible guitar breaks that are just absolutely celestially powerful. And I wanted to start with that, and I'm going to conclude with what is one of the um, Guess Who's greatest singles, which I don't remember hearing when it came out, but it's just pure rock and roll called Albert Flasher. And the title of today's podcast is GPF, as in Gratitude, Peace, and Faith. And I've gotten an enormous amount of really hopeful and touching and um, encouraging feedback on one of the podcasts I did recently about the way you want to really be uh, towards the end of your life, really at the end of your life. Inspired partly, this podcast was by watching the seven-hour Russian uh, version of War and Peace that was made, uh, released in 1965, 66, and 67, and it's truly a most remarkable document of a world, a cinema, let alone transcendent, hopeful Christian thought. But um, in the um, typology of the cast, I said that if one could be truly grateful for what God has done in one's life, for the backstory and the front story, and one could be fundamentally at peace with the way it's gone, notwithstanding the checks and balances and the impositions and incursions and the catastrophes and the losses and the powerful um, stalemates and uh, discouraging losses and uh, really decisive negativities, if one could be at peace about that, then one could face death, the death of the body, at uh, the opening door, which we see at the death of Prince Andre in War and Peace, the door that opens onto life after death in which the soul returns to God and returns to its unity with all that it ultimately is about in its hunger and lifelong passionate desire for the acquisition of connection, or shall I say simply the experience of being at one with God, let alone the love of another human being. And that is the real, um, that's the thing at the end of life or near it to have faith. This is sort of Paula White, optimistic, overwhelmingly 
on the side of God's goodness faith, which takes us all the way home. And what had gotten me uh, with the desire to um, go at this again, having been, believe it or not, processing it through the music of the Guess Who, a group that I was really quite close to at one point and feel as uh, Spencer Leffel at the Church of the Advent said, Burton Cummings had become sort of the house band in the podcast. And I was re-listening to some of the mid-70s, the sort of later singles of the Guess Who, and they are powerful. They're, they're all sort of flawed from a modern point of view. They all have a couple of sections which we would have cut today or would seem to be overly repetitive or um, uh, sort of... Um, what do I want to say, lacking in energy, but there are these remarkable um, courses and uh, riffs and uh, sudden breaks that uh, take the music into the stratosphere, into the heavenly kingdom of that inspiration, which we are all looking to, sort of Chrissy Hine time. And I wanted to um, reflect on that because I was so aware this week of the absolute... um, um, fatuousness and absurdity of human activities on their own terms when they're not related to that which transcend and uh, lives beyond and before them. And I had two experiences. I was reading a review by a scholar who will remain nameless. There's a quite a well-known um, English uh, scholar uh, who's been at one of the in the Oxbridge world for many, many years. He's a church historian, and he's made an absolute career out of trying to prove that the Protestant Reformation wasn't really Protestant, and that the English Reformation in particular was kind of a minority voice that won its um, spurs through a series of sort of, uh, you might almost call them coincidences and bad luck, and that England remained Catholic in fundamental practice and religious sensibility far longer than conventional Protestant so-called historiography has wanted to say, and it's this man has kind of tried to rewrite the history of the English Reformation in favor of Catholicism. And it's very clear reading his stuff that, that uh, like so many academics, a great many, including myself as one, that, that there's something being worked out, that there's a, some kind of a something inside the person that's being worked out. Some, you might call it some previously, some previous wound, some previous feeling about Catholicism and or Protestantism that has um, achieved such power inside the person that it sort of drives the research, as they say in England, and the research is fundamentally bogus. The research is fundamentally uh, misshapen. It's uh, stacked. The deck is stacked, and so it's not really valid, and is that's why so many scholarly trends are overruled in later courts of observation and re-certification um, because there's, uh, they're not really true because they all came out of somebody's head, somebody's psycho-emotional head in a context in which that dimension wasn't acknowledged but was really the driving the ship. The reason I say it is I this particular chap uh, has written a book on Cardinal Newman and I was reading an, um, an equally um, sort of artificial review in uh, an English uh, church journal, a good journal. And I, as I was reading it, I said, oh my gosh, this is so-and-so doing the same old thing. <laughs> he's now, he's, he's, he's taking his, whatever was going on with all those other books about the Reformation, he's now um, sort of seeking to find something that he was looking for in some form of residual Catholicism that he sees in uh, Cardinal Newman, who was a great man, no question about it. But as I was reading the equally sort of trying to score points with words, oh, by the way, always avoid the word nuance. Avoid the word nuance till the day you die. It is absolutely, whenever people use the word nuance, they're trying to say that they're smarter than you. But um, uh, 
that at least I can unhumbly say is a word that I've tried to avoid. But uh, this review, this so-called nuanced review of this other so-called nuanced uh, man's nuanced biography of Cardinal Newman, which is all really just a blind for um, obviously, to me, emotional, psychological themes that go way, way back in the author's, uh, that's S apostrophe, um, sensibilities. Uh, I was reading this review and I said, oh my gosh, why, why did why did this even get written? I, what possible, yeah, outside of reading the primary sources, why do we need another biography of Cardinal Newman that is entirely um, rooted in a previously, a, a governing and previously overruling agenda and uh, sort of, what do they call it, a program, project, project, why? And I just had such an overwhelming feeling of the uselessness of it and the repetition of it and the nonsense of it. And um, so um, that led me to say, well, you know, if you didn't have faith in something else. Look at the world as a, you know, the world is a circle, that song by the, uh, is it uh, Burt Bacharach? Didn't Burt Bacharach do the um, song uh, with Hal David, maybe, for um, uh, the Lost Horizon 1973 musical, which is both terrible and wonderful at the same time? The world is a circle that, you know, it's a Buddhist thing. And the world is a circle. And you, when I was looking at this review of the Newman book, I said, this is a circle. Uh, the, 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 the same people were doing, writing the same things 40 years ago when I was coming along. And now they're doing it again. And it's just again. And then 20 years from now, it'll be somebody else doing exactly the same thing. And what occurred to me also about, I was thinking about race. The question of race in my own home denomination. And somebody had said, um, some dean of some cathedral somewhere, very recently, I think even this week, that the Episcopal Church has not been a safe space for all persons. Now, uh, let me quote, that's a direct quote from a sermon that was preached on Sunday. The Episcopal Church has not been a safe space for all persons. And I thought, well, in a way, maybe. I mean, no place is a safe space for all persons. And we certainly want to have safe spaces for all persons. And that's what the church is, by definition, calling Tully and paging Tully and Stacy, it's a, it's a safe space for all persons. However, when I read this and the passionate uh, delivery of the speaker and the passionate um, emotions that are associated with uh, trying to right wrongs relate, relating to race in my own denomination, I thought, you know, the people that are so passionate, that they must not have lived in the 1960s or the 1970s or the 1980s in the Episcopal Church. I mean, I, I, I was saying to somebody at a party the other night, he said, how long have you been ordained? And I said, well, I hate to tell you, but it's 45 years, really 46, soon to be 47. And uh, uh, I, I couldn't believe it, but what I guess I'm trying to say is I was there. I was there in 1968 when the National Cathedral, we thought it was sort of funny, we thought also thought it was sort of cool, decided to turn the nave of the National Cathedral into a um, venue for a soul music uh, a pop concert on a Saturday or Friday night. It was the coolest thing I'd ever heard of. They had Arthur Conley. Do you like soul music? Yeah, yeah. I mean, sweet. So, Otis Redding now. Yeah. Uh, uh, just, uh, we loved Arthur Conley and still do. And they had turned the entire nave, took all the chairs out and turned it into a uh, sort of the Howard Theater from downtown Washington. And it was a great event. I mean, it was, we all went, gosh, at school, we thought it was the coolest thing in the world. But we also thought this is the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen. I mean, it was obviously an attempt to curry some kind of favor, what is today called virtue signaling. And then there was a parish called um, St. Stephen in the Incarnation. I mean, I was only, you know, I was 17 years old. Um, this is in the late 60s, early 70s. And there was, there were enormous, just 
consuming efforts to make reparations emotionally and in terms of the church's parish parochial life uh, in the subject of race. And the Episcopal Church was as weighed down then by concerns about uh, race and um, its uh, desire, very legitimate desire, to uh, have um, racial reconciliation in the parishes. All I'm saying is, I'm not. I'm saying that that was there then, just as much as it is today. People just don't realize that. The first parish we were in in Silver Spring, Maryland, the high witness of the entire parish was a, an interracial uh, supper club that would meet uh, in Silver Spring once a month, and it had been meeting for 20, 20 years. I mean, I was there and with Mary in the early mid seventies, and it, the group had been meeting for fifteen years, and it was a group of African American couples and white couples in Silver Spring who would meet all the time. And it was wonderful. It was absolutely fantastic. But what I'm trying to say, and it was the most important thing in the entire parish was the racial reconciliation group, Um, not to be confused with the subgroup of St. Albans Parish at the same time in Washington in the mid-70s, which was so confused theologically, to say the least, by its own admission. And the big group there was not racial reconciliation, but a committee called the Depth Questions Committee. And the Depth Questions Committee would meet once every two weeks to discuss depth questions. And it had Buddhists and it had Hindus and it had now what I'm what am I saying? Do you think I'm saying something negative towards any of this? Do you? No. I'm just saying that we were doing it. I've lived long enough to see us to we were doing exactly what people say today with incredible passionate sort of Yatesian, you know, the 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 worst speak with passionate intensity and the best like all conviction. We have the same passionate intensity was ruling the roost in the church world that I grew up in. And um and I, another fellow that wrote, a very nice Episcopal clergyman of many years standing, he said, you know, the church has gone so far theologically to one side that I, he, this man is a well-known canon, has had a lifelong ministry uh, on the renewal side of the church. And he said, uh, you know, I could, uh, I've been, I, the church has gone so far to the other side that I could probably not even get in the ordination process today. I, canon so-and-so, who's been ordained 44 years and served every parish you've ever heard of and given the bishop's cross and some diocese for distinguished work at mission. But he said, because of my stand on such and such an issue or this or that, I couldn't even be considered for ordination. Well, I wanted to say, well, you know, you barely got ordained then. I mean, I, I was there. I mean, I was in this. I, we were there, you know, even then. The, the the same uh, forces were deeply uh, against whatever we thought we were trying to achieve, and it hasn't changed. So what am I saying? The racial reconciliation issue was white hot in the liberal world that I grew up in in the church, and the issue of, uh, of uh, diversity and uh, uh, inclusion and uh, um, the strong tilt to one side uh, there's nothing new there's absolutely n- nothing nothing new and the um the biography of uh, of uh the very saintly, absolutely saintly, um, Cardinal Newman. It, th- this this has been going on for thirty five years. The same. So so so. Where does it leave us? Hope. Remember what I said. Uh, Mary helped me with the original typology. G for gratitude. When you come to the end of your tether, your, no, the end of your 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 life of activity and engagement. P for peace. We all want it. I've I've I've. Thanks to a number of different persons I could mention, I, I'm beginning to feel it a little bit more. And F, F, F for f- faith. And so that becomes really the, the great question. What's next? And 
that I leave you with, because um, I have no um, doubt whatsoever that we are going to, we are on the road to the loving arms of the compassionate Christ. He's walked with me, and he's walking with you, and he, as uh, Paula says, and as Tullian says, and as Stacy says, and as I hope to say, and as Mockingbird says, and as John Zoll says, and as Simeon writes, David preaches, um, so many people that we know, Aaron, and gosh, Sarah, uh, RJ, many, 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 Stu, um, Dave Browder, um, this is the one into whose, the trampoline onto whom we're being, uh, we're being dropped, the, uh, the uh, uh, waiting to receive us. It's the God which is not remotely startled or offering one iota of anything other than absolution and empathy and understanding as we look truly upon ourselves in humility and uh, in peace and in hope and in deep um, remorse as well for all that we've done and left undone. The prayer book is so brilliant on that, Cranmer's prayer book. And so um, we go to him with the greatest confidence because we don't have the bagage that Marley had and Scrooge had and everybody has initially at the end gate of uh, unpeaceful experience and events for which we would not give thanks. But in fact, we're always in the hands and in the grip and in the plan of the one to whom we are going. And I offer you that with much love. And we conclude with, uh, I guess, uh, a favorite by the Guess Who. God bless. Bye. Fixed a diesel D.